from James chapter 3 and we've been preaching through or studying through, teaching through the book of James and we've come to wisdom from above in the third chapter, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom is not, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. Now I have a feeling that we're not going to get too far in the sermon, so just stay with me and don't get discouraged if you see the hour approach. When I was pastoring out in uh, Seminole, Texas, we had a deacon in our church who worked for an irrigation company. And this irrigation company um, contracted him to go to Saudi Arabia to put in a large irrigation uh, facility in, in the desert of Saudi Arabia. And they went over, he and about 15 other men, and they camped out in the middle of this desert the, that you see pictures as sand and blowing sand and heat. And they literally developed an oasis in the middle of that desert. He said that the Saudis were warm and loving people. And as they began to develop this irrigation system, they'd already been there for months, the Saudis, and they were just bringing these Americans over to help them perfect it. He said they, they went out in the middle of this desert and they, and they were traveling in, in jeeps and overland vehicles for miles and miles. And all of a sudden, in the center of the desert, he said he saw this magnificent oasis. Beautiful greenery, luscious fruit trees, magnificent place. And he said the Saudis got red carpet and rolled it out in the middle of a desert. And he said it was the strangest feeling, something like you'd see in close encounters. They got out of the jeep in the edge of the desert and they walked on red carpet in the center of an oasis with trees and flowers and fruit. And they had this table out in the middle of this oasis about 15 or 20 miles square. They had this table in the center of that thing and they sat down to a magnificent banquet. And he said, if you had not seen that kind of thing, you would not believe it. And he spent two years there pouring, putting his life in the development of the oasis in the center of the desert. And he said, as I sat there that night, and ate from this banquet table in the center of this oasis, he thought, he said, 
of the Scripture that says, And the desert shall blossom like a flower. Now in order for that to happen, in order for the desert to blossom like a flower, they had to bring something that was totally unlike the desert to the desert. And so they brought water out of the ground to the desert, and the desert blossomed like a flower. In order for a man to live the practical Christian life that the book of James describes, something has to come to a man's life that is totally unlike the natural man. And the Scripture describes it as wisdom that's from above. And when wisdom comes from above to the life of the, of, to the desert life and the barren life and the empty, fruitless life of the believer, that life begins to blossom like the flower. And so James begins to contrast that wisdom that's from above and that wisdom that is from beneath. And you'll understand now that when he talks about wisdom here, and I'll share that in just a minute, when he talks about wisdom, he's not talking about intellectual head knowledge. He's talking about a lifestyle that comes from God, a, a lifestyle, a behavior pattern of life. Now some things, first of all, in by way of introduction, concerning this wisdom that's from above. First of all, you can see it. He said, show me. If you have wisdom, then show me. For the wisdom that comes from above is not nebulous and uh, abstract. It is something you can see. It's something that can be displayed. It's like the Missouri show me state. You can actually see it in practice. You can actually see a man's wisdom as it's lived out that comes from God. Second thing about it, the text uses a combination that is found here and only here in the Scripture, and it is the combination of wisdom and understanding. That combination, you see it in the New American Standard, verse 13, is found here and only here in the New Testament. And it means practical knowledge. It means the ability to take the facts and relate them to life. It means the ability to, to assimilate the facts and then to work them into practical living. Now, now watch this. I think a, a lot of times we have the idea that Christianity or theology is an abstract concept. It's something that you, that you experience or you learn with the mind, but it does not have application to daily life. Listen, the wisdom that comes from above is that which can be applied to every aspect of every day's life. It is possible for a man to get wisdom from above that can be worked in to tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. It is not something that you come and think about on Sunday morning and then lay aside theologically. It is something that is the most practical thing that a man can ever experience or grasp. Now he says that there, if you're following, that there are two tests. One is the test of the wise and the other is the test of the unwise. First, the test of the wise. 
It's a twofold test. If a man has wisdom from above, this will be the test of that man's life, of that man's wisdom. First, there will be good behavior. The word that's translated here, good behavior, is translated 13 times in the King James as conversation. It means lifestyle. It means good man, a good man or a good woman. The word, but the word literally means to return. It means to turn back to something. It means a willingness to change or to alter. How much are you willing to change so that your life patterns the truth? That's the question. It means moldable. It is a man who is willing and is able to return or change or mold or, or alter his life constantly so that that life comes in line with the truth, comes in line with the will of God. The second test of wisdom that's from above is found in deeds of gentleness. In our day, gentleness is really associated with spinelessness, with spinelessness. But in the day in which this was printed, it meant to bring power under control. It was the picture of a great strong animal that has been tamed and brought under control. My grandfather used to work them, great teams of horses, powerful creatures and animals, and yet he could control those animals with the flick of his wrist. He put the traces, the, the, uh, the harness or whatever you call it, in his hand between his fingers, and he could guide those great beasts and animals with the flick of his wrist. It means power that's un under control. It was the only thing, only claim that Jesus ever made about himself was that he was meek and lowly at heart. So that a person who, is, who has experienced or received wisdom from above is a person who has a lifestyle that is constantly altering so that that life can be brought in line with the will of God and the truth of God. And he is a man who is meek and gentle. He is, his power is brought under the control of God. And then he begins to test the unwise, and there are two tests of the unwise. First, there is in 14a bitter jealousy. Jealousy always brings bitterness. It's interesting to me that he, when he talks about wisdom, he talks about jealousy with the unwise. For most of the time, jealousy is not only unwise, it is irrational. It is irrational thinking. It is irrational thought. It's a person who is not in control of his thoughts. He thinks the most unbelievable, irrational things. Do you know the difference between envy and jealousy? Envy is mourning the empty hands. Jealousy is the fear of losing what is in the full hands. 
and the second test of one who's living his life with wisdom that is from beneath is that he has selfish ambition. Isn't it amazing then when you begin to put them side by side and you see the man who, is, who has wisdom from above and his lifestyle is altered and adjustable and moldable to the will of God and he's a gentle, humble man. On the other hand is the man thinking irrationally, holding on to what he has because he's selfish in his desires. Now what are the characteristics, as you follow the outline, of the unwise? I want to go down the right-hand side first. We'll play like we're in uh, Israel and we're going to read from right to left. We'll go from the, uh, the unwise, 14b. And there are, four, there are five characteristics of the unwise man. You still with me? Got nine minutes. First. The characteristic of the unwise is arrogance. Now I want you to follow the progression that seems to be here. There is justification for our sin. Justification. Defensiveness for our sin. But there's more than that in this arrogance that he's talking about. One boasts of his sin. Does that sound familiar? There was a time when you and I were ashamed of sin. Have we reached the day, I think perhaps we have, where we no longer feel embarrassment or shame, but it's almost vogue to boast about it. But not only is there boasting of it in the arrogance that's there for the unwise, the man who who is unwise and lives from the wisdom that's from beneath is proud of his sin in spite of his wrong. One of the saddest commentaries perhaps in our day is that we have made heroes out of the godless. Not long ago, I guess it's been a year or so ago, I was with uh, Ron, Jean Ron uh, Lewis, who is head of the Church Growth Foundation in, in, in America. And he and I were in Fort Worth in my church. And we decided after, one of, we had been all, all day in a session there in North Fort Worth, we'd go to a Ranger baseball game. And we were sitting out in the bleachers. My wife was out of town. My, my Todd and, and uh, Cindy were with me last summer. And right in in between one of the innings, I think it's about the fifth inning, you know, we were sitting there and they were, uh, it must have been about the uh, fourth or fifth inning because the grounds crew had just been out kind of sweeping up the, you know, the grounds, kind of clearing, straightening up the ground. And, I, and, I, and before anybody really knew what was happening, this drunk climbed out of, out of his row there and, came and, and ran out on the field. He staggered out on the field. And he, he, came, he, started, he came out on the first base side and just came barreling out of there and people were just kind of stunned, you know, watching him. And he ran, he staggered to first base and he touched first base and he headed for second. And he, and he just toppled over on his face. I mean, literally just plowed up the ground with his face. And he got up and he, and, he, and he made it to second base and he touched second base and he turned to third, headed for third. 
and he just was just t- tumbling and just fell head over heels and ran it right smack, I mean, buried his nose right in the ground. And he got up and he, and he got to third base. And by that time, everybody was just roaring and cheering. And, and by then, the cops came out and they got him off of third base just before he broke for home. And they booed the cops. And I sat there in the grandstand and I couldn't laugh. And I turned to my children and, and I, I, I asked them not to laugh. And I, I felt in my heart a tremendous sorrow that we could come to the place where something like that was anything but pathetic. And we see Foster Brooks on television and we just laugh ourselves silly. Folks, wisdom from below finds pride in our sin. And if there ever was a need for us today, it is to be ashamed of any kind of thought or conduct that is a, that is a violation to His holiness. And where are those of us who find it humiliating in our spirit that we could think or say anything that would grieve the heart of God? Arrogance. And there's a second characteristic of the unwise, and that is lying against the truth. I think we have a New Testament illustration of two people who lied against the truth. And I think we have some kind of precedence tonight to see that that wisdom from above is honest. And then he says, in this tremendous trilogy, said it is earthly. That is to say... It is strictly horizontal. Now, now stay right with me because I have a feeling I might kind of tread out into some water where you've, been, where you've been fishing. Wisdom that's from beneath, not wisdom from above, is strictly horizontal. It's based on an earthly standard and it's humanistic to the core and it seeks its counsel and it's, and it's based upon a human perspective. I just wonder how much of the 24 hours you and I live in the day. I wonder how many decisions we make. I wonder how many choices we make which is based entirely upon a horizontal perspective, on a humanistic perspective. And we get all excited about the problems of humanism that's creeping in and is oozing out the pores of our culture. But most of us make our decisions entirely from a humanistic perspective. What's, what is the humanistic perspective on this? I'm afraid that a lot of the decision the church makes is strictly horizontal in perspective and humanistic to the core. 
How much must I ask it? How much? How many decisions did you make this week after honestly seeking the mind of God and finding His mind? And how many times have you waited before you made a decision until you discovered and determined the mind of God? That's the question. That's a big question. He says it is natural. That means it is soulish. That, means to, that is to say it is not of the Spirit of God. It is soulish. It's made on the basis of the natural instincts. It is not communicated in the inner man from the Spirit of God. And it is demonic. Did you know that Christians can be subjected to demonic influence? Now it's, it's, it's really kind of frightening sometimes to determine what is really God's will for my life and what is really the prompting of Satan because it is His will. I guess that's why John says, test the spirits. I want so much, and it's 8 o'clock, I want so much to finish, to develop the rest of this. But I think I'll do it next week. So I want to say now, let's, let's, cap, let's capsule it, let's bring it back into to what we've tried to talk about. When you set this paragraph, and it's set in that tremendous chapter on the tongue, you'll understand that there are two ways by which we communicate. We communicate verbally and we communicate non-verbally. We communicate with the lip, with what we say, and we communicate with the life, what we do. And James wants us to understand, as he's led under the Spirit of God by his inspiration, that what we do has an equal impact to what we say. And what we do in our behavior is on the basis of the wisdom that's from above or on the basis of the wisdom that's from beneath. Would you pray with me and then we're dismissed. Father, help us tomorrow in the lifestyle, in the behavior of our work and walk, and in the gentleness, humility of Christ. To show, give evidence, display that we're living on the basis of wisdom from above. And I pray that you'll bring to us from above that which is totally unlike us.
in order that we might be fruitful in the barren wastelands of a world that has fallen away from its Creator. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.